You are listening to Sermon Snippets with Max Taylor, where we exposit God's Word and apply its instruction to our everyday lives. As we study God's Word, we are learning truth that corrects our thinking, meets our needs, and teaches us more about Christ. Here's your host, Max Taylor. So we have just gotten into Daniel chapter 5. And last week, if you remember, we were introduced to Belshazzar, this new king. He was the son of Nabonidus, who was part of that conspiracy to take over Babylon. And so now there's a new king on the throne. And so far, we haven't heard any word about Daniel, but we do know that there's a huge celebration going on. So let's start out by reading verses 1 through 4 again, because last week we were mainly getting some of the background and the uh, character sketch of Belshazzar. So Daniel chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. The Bible says, Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Belshazzar, while he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem that the king and his princes, his wives, and his concubines might drink therein. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem, and the king and his princes, his wives, and his concubines drank in them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, of brass, of iron, of wood, and of stone." This is called a great feast, and it was indeed a great feast. There were a thousand of Nebuchadnezzar's servants there, his lords, those who helped him rule his government. Um, And so they were there. There could have been more people there um, because their wives, maybe their friends. This is a huge feast. And it references Nebuchadnezzar, his father. Remember, that was, we talked about this last week, that was a technicality because Nabonidus tried to align his form of government with what Nebuchadnezzar had established back in his day. So it was kind of a political title for him, uh, the son of Nebuchadnezzar. You know, people refer to him as Nebuchadnezzar was your father um, in more of a political, technical sense. So what can we know about this celebration? Well, actually, we can learn a good deal from archaeology. That's one of the awesome things about living in this age today where things are being discovered left and right. There's uh, all kinds of updates coming out when people go excavating in in the earth and they find these biblical cities and they figure out what they were like. Then you can go to a museum, you can see artifacts from these time frames. So John Phillips, he describes what this dining room looked like. And I'm not sure exactly where he gets his dimensions and things, but he he did a lot of work um, in archaeology and uh, studying the biblical ancient empires. So he describes the dining room as having been 1,650 feet wide and a mile long. That's the dining room dimensions. Um, he, he says there were some 4,500 pillars in the form of giant elephants that were a part of the walls, and they were carved out of stone and stood 20 feet high. The tables 
that these people, these 1,000 people sat at, were fashioned in the form of horseshoes. The lords of Babylon and their wives sat down to eat and drink as trained peacocks arrayed in gold and silver trimmed harnesses drew miniature chariots laden with choice wine and all manner of food to the guests. From the adjoining gardens, an enormous choir and orchestra provided music and entertainment. So that's his description. Um, We don't know all the details of what this looked like, but we know that this celebration would have been insane. It would have been astronomically expensive. It would have been just a huge show of wealth and power by the king. And then the king makes a big announcement. He says, bring the golden and silver vessels which Nebuchadnezzar took out of the temple, which which was in Jerusalem, so that everyone can drink wine out of those. And scripture makes it very clear in verse 4, we just read it, that this celebration was for the gods of Babylon, which were made of gold and silver, brass, iron, wood, and stone. So everything, the drunkenness, the idols, the magnificent facility, the cups, everything was really essentially a slap in the face to the true God. That's what this celebration was for. It was to kind of um, magnify the king and Babylon and his rulers. It was to pump them all up, um, to be um, really in the face of God. But that's going to change as soon as we read verse 5. So let's just read verse 5 first. It says, In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Man, the further we go in the book of Daniel, the more I just absolutely love this book. And I don't know about you, but this is exactly what I have needed as I've read through this book and studied it. And even this past week, this has been heavy on my mind, just thinking about the reminders that really come from this verse. There's so many things. First off, it says, in the same hour, God's timing was perfect. And see, we don't always see that. You know what man sees is this wealthy, wicked king living it up, celebrating in his palace, with his little harnessed peacocks going around giving people food. And we see man's temporary success and the pleasure that that wickedness brings. And it looks like, you know, the lost world is so happy and, and so fulfilled. And it looks like they have it all together, you know. And, and sometimes we can get the wrong impression. But God is present That's a big thing that we take away from this chapter. And God is watching and he's going to reward the wicked for their ways in his timing. And and that's right now. See, what the king didn't know when he was scheduling his calendar and when he was planning this huge banquet that no doubt took months of preparation, when he was, I don't know, penciling in the menu items and deciding who is going to sit at which table and decorating, you know, having the elephants carved to build this huge dining hall. And what he didn't know is that God had an appointment to judge this king for his wickedness. And it was going to happen right in God's perfect time. 
Another thing I want to point out is it says there came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. I absolutely love this. The placement where God chose to write was right in front of the candle. It was right where everyone could see. And I find it so amazing that God is always present, but sometimes he's not known. Sometimes there are periods of silence and waiting and God's still at work, but you can't necessarily see it. But when God wants his glory to be known, boy, he really shows it and he moves and works and the world sees it. And I'm just, I'm reminded of so many times in the Bible when God's hand was so evidently on display for the world. For example, Romans 9 verse 17 talks about God rose up Pharaoh for the purpose of showing God's power to the world. And he says, I've declared my might throughout all the earth by setting his people free from Egypt. God literally gave Pharaoh all the power that he gave him during that famine of Joseph's day so that God could show his power over Egypt to the whole world. That happens time and time again throughout human history. Another example is Solomon's reign. Uh, God used the reign of Solomon when Israel was so prominent throughout the world. You had the Queen of Sheba coming to visit Solomon because of his wisdom and his fame. And God glorified himself He showed magnificent, mighty works through the people of Israel to point the world to him. The the known world at that time knew about God from that. But then there's times of history and in our own lives when we can't necessarily trace God's hand. But you know what? God is ultimately still in control. Just as much as God's in control when he set Israel free from Egypt, when he was blessing Solomon's reign, God is still in control in those silent, quiet times. And sometimes when he wants to, he reveals himself in powerful ways to display to everyone so evidently that he is in control. But don't forget about that in the quiet times when God seems to operate in the shadows and it's not so evident. Don't forget that God is still in control And that's why God sometimes shows up in such powerful ways as a hand writing on the king's wall right by the candlestick so everyone can see. No one missed that. God shows up in in ways such as that sometimes to give us that reminder that he's still in charge, he's still in control, and we have to remember that in the times of quiet and of question. I just, I love it. I got to move on so we can keep going here because... Now we're going to look at the king's fear. Man, this is powerful. Verse 6 says, Then the king's countenance was changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his loins were loosed, and his knees smote one against another. What a description there. This is the king of Babylon who built this massive dining hall, who's invited his 1,000 top-notch servants and rulers and managers to come. But the party wasn't fun anymore. 
the king wasn't laughing at jokes. You know, the king wasn't flaunting about his power and his wealth anymore. The festivities of the party came to a grinding halt. The wine wasn't gratifying anymore. The food and the festivities weren't delightful anymore. The king's fame wasn't impressing anyone anymore. And the king wasn't enjoying his celebration anymore. But unlike the king, when God shows up in a powerful way in our lives, if we are following God, if we are saved, if we have humbly come to God in repentance and changed our mind about our sin, agreed with God about our sin, admitted our sin to God and asked for his forgiveness, then when God shows up in those times in our life, that brings us great peace and joy and hope. But for this wicked king, this is what I was saying at the beginning, Psalms talks about this. The wicked seem to be so profitable. They seem to be so successful, so happy. But when God shows up, they are paralyzed by fear and terror, and they realize their whole life has been in vain and worthless. A lot of times, people like this king, they live their life as if God does not exist, blaspheming God without hesitation, living it up, enjoying their parties. But not this day, not this hour, because God showed up. And this party is over. And we see the king, his countenance changed. He, he literally became pale. Panic set in. His thoughts were troubled. His mind was racing, terrified, shocked. His knees, literally his joints dissolved and became loose and his knees were knocking against each other. That's the condition of the lost when confronted with the impending doom of their state of animosity towards God. Reality strikes fear into their hearts. And that's the lost, but that's not the saved. See, prophecy for the saved brings hope to the believer. And we'll continue going through chapter 5 next week. Take care. Thank you for listening to Sermon Snippets. If this Bible study is a help to you, consider downloading the weekly episodes or sharing this podcast with a friend. Until next time, Remember that God's word is perfect and it's everything you need to live for him.